Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, November 13th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and we look at two recent Disney patent filings for crazy theme park ideas. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us how Disney brought princess character greetings into the parks. Let's get started by bringing in the man who reminds all y'all using those dating apps that when a man says he lives in a gated community, he means prison. That boy is in jail. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> Just in case we're confused here, folks. I, that, that means doing time, being sent up, going to the pen, getting busted, cuffed, you know, going to the slammer, all right? You know, the underlined, circled, and indented. They, they're, they're not available for a while. He's doing a nickel up okay? at Attica. <laughs> there we go. There you go. So. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to our new Patreon subscribers. Thanks to new subscribers Xavier Mora, Brent Bunner, Nick Schwab, and BC80. And to longtime subscribers Aurora3000, Kathy Mawin, Robert Spence, and Graham Clark. Jim, these are the Disney cast members still working Walt's original mining claim at the Rainbow Caverns inside Disneyland. They say the deposits of rare earth elements under Frontierland are funding a surprising amount of park redevelopment, and the nightly fireworks are great for covering up the occasional dynamite charges they need to operate. True story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the fireworks are always just a cover story. <laughs> By the way, just a, a quick mind train through Nature's Wonderland related story. You know, when they changed out that attraction mm -hmm. to Big Thunder Mountain Railway, a lot of the very, very early primitive animatronics, you know, that there just wasn't enough there to save, to share. And so yeah. they made this decision that, you know, we could haul these away, we could recycle them, or we could just bury them. We could just close up the entrance of the mine and leave people 500 years from now with a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> okay, now... Jump ahead 20-some-odd years, and you're building Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Sure. And a backhoe digs down into the ground and finds what appears to be the unknown, you know, sacred burial ground of droids. <laughs> and, you know, that... that <laughs> Evidently, you know, construction stopped for a while till somebody went, no, 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 no. The, the mine train through and they just went to land. Disregard, guys. Keep digging. Keep digging. You know, if the Imagineers had, had any sense of humor, and I know they do, but if they, mm -hmm. you know, they could have put in like an altar with like really <laughs> large icons of strange things so that 500 years from now, people would have been like, and, and what did they worship? This is some sort of weird sacrifice? Just imagine what you could have done. <laughs> <laughs> Robotic coyotes. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't understand this, but okay. Appar apparently, they built these animatronic uh, coyotes to chase off mm. people from their land. I don't know. Anyway. Mm. All right, folks, just a quick reminder. We're moving the show off of Bandcamp and onto Patreon, beginning with our show on January 1st, 2024. We're also moving all of our old archive shows over, and it's way easier to find those things on Patreon. Please sign up at patreon.com slash jimhillmedia, and don't forget to close down your Bandcamp subscription after that. On to the news. The news is sponsored by Touring Plans. Touring Plans can help book your next trip, plus it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim, one news item this week. Our friends at mm -hmm. WDW Magic are reporting that the first full-scale test of Epcot's new fireworks show, Luminous, the Symphony of Us, which you should absolutely not call luminous this time for sure. <laughs> Happened a little past midnight this past Sunday. That's good news, and it seems like the show is on track 
for its debut on December 5th. Jim, I, uh, I note here a couple of things. One, it looks like a 16-minute show, which is a little shorter than Harmonious, which was 20 minutes. Uh, Disney also released the soundtrack to Luminous. And I've, uh, I put it, all the songs here in the show notes, Jim. One of the things that, uh, mm-hmm. that stuck out to me was the vast majority of the songs have been made in the last 20 years. So it's yeah. Tangled, Coco, Frozen 2, even Toy Story 2, which mm-hmm. is 20, you know, 1999, so 23 years old. That's the vast majority of things. Mm-hmm. The oldest song is uh, Friend mm-hmm. Like Me from Aladdin, which is 1992, so it's 30 years old. Don't get me wrong, you know, that we just did have the Once Upon a Studio that ended with what is perceived as the company anthem, you know, When You Wish Upon a right. Star. But uh, but on the other hand, if, if this is the new Epcot, the Celebration Park... Yeah. You probably want newer music. I mean, so. it, it's a it's difficult from I think Disney's music catalog perspective because you've got mm-hmm. a Venn diagram of two things that have to overlap. One is I know they want contemporary music, right? Songs that mm-hmm. uh, you know have been made recently that that people uh, remember. And then number two, mm-hmm. uh, it has to fit in with the theme of World Showcase, so the international flavor. So international songs made in the last 20 years. I mean, Coco makes sense, you know, Frozen 2, sure. Yeah, Yeah, but yeah, it's an interesting overlap there. It is, it is. I I hadn't even thought about that perspective, but yeah, okay. Let's see how this plays out, what, December 5th or 6th? Yeah, definitely, should be fun. Okay, okay. All right, on to listener questions. Uh, Jim, a host Mm -hmm. of former and current Disney cast members have weighed in on our discussion of the fate of Voyage of the Little Mermaid in Animation Courtyard at Hollywood Studios. A surprising number of them think the building closure is related to the water effects sitting unused for months during the pandemic closure, Mm -hmm. resulting in a mold problem. And then a few people pointed out that uh, Mm -hmm. because the building dates back to at least 1990, any substantial Mm -hmm. work to Mm -hmm. bring the building back online would likely have also include have to include bringing it up to current building codes and that can mm-hmm. be substantial so i heard from someone who may or may not have worked on a similar problem at universal orlando mm-hmm. they said that uh when they uh, apparently when they tried to redo the building that now houses the born stuntacular and the building that used to be in the place of where transformers 3d is now it was either with great difficulty that they took a very old building and brought it up to new code, or in the case of Transformers, I believe they demolished the building rather than oh, trying did. to refurbish it. Yeah. I guess the previous weekend they had soft open Transformers in Hollywood yeah. and saw the crowds and decided that weekend that, okay, we're going to do this in Florida. And so Monday morning there are people inside of the old Murder, She Wrote production you know behind the scenes Mm -hmm. show who are in the process of changing that into a maze for that coming years haunted uh, uh, and you know literally you know a manager walked into the building said hammers down guys we changed our mind we're going in a different direction (laughs) and that building was down in 10 days time (laughs) if we could just scooch past you here so we can place this dynamite (laughs) no keep doing what you're doing it's fine (laughs) the blasting caps aren't in you'll be you're perfectly safe Yeah, there we go. Very <laughs> funny. Uh, other uh, cast members wrote in to point out that lasers are also good for range finding for projection mapping shows. And here's an email we got. Uh, oh. Another potential reason for taking these scans 
would be if you were mm-hmm. going to use that 3D modeling data to create some high-resolution video content for projection mapping. Mm-hmm. I'm a lighting video designer for live events and mm-hmm. themed attractions, maybe with WDI. And 3D scans mm-hmm. are a tool often used in the creation of such content. I could definitely see them doing a revamped version of the show with new projection effects in the intervening years mm-hmm. before the animation courtyard mm-hmm. gets bulldozed. Also, PS Gem mm-hmm. lasers are still cool. <laughs> I stand corrected. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Uh, and speaking of listener questions, um, I know a lot of y'all are interested for various reasons in internships for theme park jobs. If you're aware of any upcoming intern opportunities at Disney Universal or another theme park company, please email me at touringplans.com so we can get the word out. It's, uh, it's about the time when I start getting emails from people saying, do you know of any internships? So if you guys know of any internships, we can make that happen. Okay, cool. All right, Jim, last email. Listener mm-hmm. writes in with an unusual challenge being faced mm-hmm. by Disney's marketing team. And that mm-hmm. is, how do you differentiate the upcoming Disney movie Wish with Disney's mm-hmm. newest cruise ship, also named Wish, but without the exclamation point that's in the movie title? And Ashley, uh, <laughs> Ashley points out that on shopdisney.com, clothing with the words mm-hmm. Disney Wish now includes extra explanatory text that says from the movie to help people differentiate it. But I mean, you can imagine, right? If you're Disney's marketing and you have to, you have to use phrases like Disney's newest and wish you can imagine how search engines would get confused about whether you're talking about a movie or a cruise line. (laughs) Oh, hadn't even thought of that. Oh, Oh, poor slobs. Okay. All right, Jim, I mentioned at the top of the show uh, that Disney has filed two uh, recent patent applications dealing with theme park attractions. And I have in the show notes here, so we can look at them, the drawings Mm -hmm. that accompany those patent applications. The first one is titled Vehicle Entertainment System and Method. And I'll I'll read the text and then I'll describe what the picture looks like. The text is... Mm -hmm. Uh, An entertainment system for a vehicle is disclosed. In one embodiment, the entertainment system includes at least a partially enclosed structure configured to receive an on-road vehicle where the structure defines a path along which the on-road vehicle is configured to move autonomously and content output system configured to generate content based on one or more characteristics of the on-road vehicle and a guide system configured to guide the on-road vehicle along the path. All right, so Jim, what this looks like to me is a square-shaped tunnel in which cars go in one end and content is presented to them and then they come out. And my first thought here is, why is Disney inventing the car wash? Because that's what it looks like. But it's not, it's not a car wash, right? What possible use could Disney see for this? It's an interesting time for for Disney Hollywood Studios. You know the, you know it, it's especially a time of year when Disney, after looking at the crazy amount of money that had previously been made by Universal with the Halloween Horror Nights, mm-hmm. the effect sort of placated themselves. Like, well, well, that's okay, but but we have the Osborne spectacle of dancing holiday lights, and you know that that's coming over the hill, and we make money hand over fist over that. Yeah. But then, of course, that went away. Right. I, I want to say 2014 or thereabouts yeah. to make way for Galaxy's Edge, and we have, in fact, 
just this week, uh, the the first of the the Jollywood nights. You know, the, the, this is the studio trying to get back into that space again. But there's just been a notion, especially on the Florida property, that we let something really good get away. Yeah. One thing that's very popular during the holiday season nowadays is for folks to climb in their cars and drive around at night. They've got a list of various holiday light displays yeah. or, you know, in fact, there's been a number of places like, uh, for example, up here in New Hampshire, the Loudoun Speedway yeah. that sets up a drive-through holiday lights display. Right. In uh, in North Carolina, it used to be the uh, the Tour de Tanglewood or uh, there you know, we go. So the Tanglewood Hollywood lights in Winston-Salem. Yeah. So we, we would, uh, you know, throw Hannah in the back of the uh, the car. Uh, you know, throw in her jammies and then uh, and then go drive and, and see it. Yeah. So, taking that idea in mind, and notice that the ride vehicle that's proposed here looks like the family car. Yeah, it's a car. And also that in the uh, roughly the two o'clock, three o'clock position, mm -hmm. it seems to be suggesting that the car rolls through. Get, do you remember the? Uh, the light, the arches that they used to do at Epcot. Yeah, the, the holiday uh, art, uh, the holiday light arch. Uh, it's, it was on the walkway between Future World and World Showcase. There we go. Oh, just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't help but look at that and understand that there is miles of undeveloped property on Walt Disney World. Oh, yeah. Something that you hand over your vehicle to this event and you drive through a certain piece of property on uh, at Walt Disney mm -hmm. World that would be decorated for the holidays with this sort of a seasonal light display. And, you know, you got to wonder if this is something that's being explored, but Disney's looking at a way, I mean, face it, it's Disney. It's got to have a fun tech component. Right. So how would this, though, translate to that? So on-road vehicle configured to move autonomously. Yeah, so there's, when they say on-road vehicle, that specifically excludes mm. things like the ride vehicles at Test Track, which was my original mm -hmm. sort of thought for this. Yeah, they're, they're talking yeah. here about cars, like cars that you and I drive. Yes. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's really interesting to think about what, uh, what they're doing there. So, To guide the on-road vehicle along the path. Yeah, so the, uh, mm. if, you, if anybody else wants to uh, search for this patent, it's called Vehicle Entertainment System and Method filed uh, March 24th, 2022. Publication date on the USPTO website is September 28th, 2023. Really mm -hmm. interesting. Jim, the other one that I think is even mm -hmm. slightly crazier, at, or out there, sorry, I don't want to say okay. crazy, it's mm -hmm. out there, is uh, mm -hmm. a patent application that was published September 28th, and it's titled System and Methods for Transferring a Passenger Compartment Between Ride Systems Using Robotic Tool change Changers. Okay, and and I'll, I'll describe. You guys should go look at the show notes for that to get the visual. Mm. But imagine mm -hmm. um, two tracks on which ride vehicles are operating. Uh, imagine them as being like concentric circles. And what you see mm -hmm. here is ride vehicles going clockwise one way and counterclockwise mm -hmm. in the other circle. But a giant robot arm is picking up ride vehicles <laughs> from the outside circle and placing them in the inside circle mm. and uh, uh, i get it right because that this is how robotic tool changers work but not with people i think this is fascinating i don't know no absolutely and more to the point though that this has been a dream of disney's 
since the late 1990s. I mean, we've talked on the show about Fire Mountain, mm -hmm. the uh, Atlantis-based coaster that once upon a time was supposed to be built at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And the gimmick of that was it was a transforming coaster that you started seated, you know, yeah. in a traditional coaster setup. But midway through, you were supposed to be flying over a, a volcano. There was this enormous eruption and supposedly pieces would just fall away from your coaster. And from that point forward, you're, you know, in kind of a, mantis flying coaster i mean you're facing down looking into the lava yeah. as you zoom through the building and what i love about this is in the ride mm -hmm. you'd actually have the sensation of being on one track and then get picked up to be dropped on a different conveyance right and it kind of looks like a a use of a kuka arm here right which um which is very much yeah so. which is what uh, universal yeah. is using for harry potter yeah and, and you mentioned uh you know fire mountain i can't help but uh, note, Jim, that uh, this would be perfect mm -hmm. for a major ride in uh, a project called Beyond Big Thunder. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. Mm. Yeah, wow. super interesting. Okay. It, it looks All great, right. and it's very novel. And the, th the things you could do with that, because if you're going one way in what you think is one ride vehicle, and then you get picked up and put in another direction on what looks like another ride vehicle, I mean, there's a lot of storytelling you can do with that. That's a. It looks like a great idea. That would be cool. Holy cow. Yeah, amazing. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us how Disney brought the Disney princesses into the parks for character greetings. Tis the season to go shopping. That said, I am not a fan of the mall. Wandering from store to store, looking for something genuinely special to then gift to friends and family, that gets to be a grind. And as for shopping online, look, no disrespect to the nice folks at Amazon, but your algorithms are great at predicting what I might want not so much when it comes to selecting items that my 91-year-old mother might like. Which is why, this holiday season, I've decided to give my loved ones something that will make them feel, well, special, unique, like the relationship we share. That's why, this year, I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years yet to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Uh, each unique prompt asks questions that you never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will then compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll then be able to share and revisit for generations yet to come. And what's genuinely great about gifting someone's story worth is, well, this is something you just know they're going to keep out on the coffee table for others to find and crack open when friends and family come to visit. And that way, they'll then be able to learn about fun things that happened during holidays past, like that time my father almost got mowed down by a one-horse open sleigh. Seriously. We actually have a home movie from the 1960s that includes first-person footage of my dad's near-death experience. And it's my great-uncle Morris who's cracking the whip and driving that sleigh that comes straight at my father just before he dives into a snowdrift to get out of the way and escape a holiday homicide. Look, scary stories are a Christmas tradition. Just ask Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, back to Storyworth now. With StoryWorth, I am giving those I love a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years yet to come. 
Go to storyworth.com slash dish and save $10 on your first purchase. Again, that's storyworth.com to save $10 on your first purchase. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Jim, when you said you wanted to talk about character greetings in the parks, I jumped at it for a couple of reasons. One is that, as we've talked about in the show, character greetings are some of the highest rated things in the parks, regardless mm-hmm. of age groups, right? The second mm-hmm. reason is that when Disney announced that Asha, the main character mm-hmm. in uh, Disney's film Wish that we just talked about, that comes out next week, she has her own character greeting now in Epcot's World Showcase Pavilion. They also gave yeah. the pavilion an official mm-hmm. name, and that is the World Showcase Friendship Ambassador Gazebo. All right. It's too late for Duffy, but at least we now know, Jim. <laughs> wow. The World Showcase Friendship Ambassador Gazebo. Going forward, it'll be interesting to see who shows up in, in the gazebo there. How many more words could we add to that title and still make it functional? Like, could we call it the World Showcase Friends and Friendship Ambassador Gazebo? <laughs> Send us your ideas, guys. Send us your ideas. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you've actually seen any of the video of the cast member who's playing Asha in the Friendship Gazebo at this point. Because, remember, nobody, you know, maybe a handful of people at this point have actually seen yeah. Wish. So they have no idea who this character is. And that that young lady is working so hard with interactions with guests because she has to give them her full bio. Exactly, yeah. You have to provide context, yeah. Yeah, and it just, I mean, she's doing a bang-up job, but it's like, oh, my God, you know, that she has studied the book backwards and forwards. And you'll leave that, your, your moment with the ambassador there going, well, I should probably go see Wish. Not a bad idea. All right. Speaking of which, to give some folks some context baseline for the story we're going to do today, I want to remind you that Snow White was first released to theaters in December of 1937, Cinderella in March of 1950, and Sleeping Beauty January of 1959. Snow White was first re-released to theaters in 1944 because, to be blunt, Len, World War II was winding down and Walt Disney Productions, which was running on fumes at the time, really needed the money. Snow White was re-released to theaters. Uh, 1944 makes a buttload of money, which is which begins the tradition of Disney putting its hand-drawn films back into theaters every seven years or so. Ah, okay. With the thinking here that every seven years allows a new generation of kids to come on the market. So the movie comes out, the parents take their kids to go see the movie, and the kids then begin to pester their parents for products that feature the characters from the movie they just saw. It's the circle of life, Jim. There we go. There we go. Okay. How many many times has Snow White been re-released? If if we're just talking theatrically, it's 44, 52, 58, 67, 1975, 1983, and 1987. By the way, Cinderella borrows a page from this exact same Disney playbook. So after it comes out, March of 1950, it's then back in theaters 57, 65, 73, 81, and 87. 
Sleeping Beauty, slightly different. Uh, we talked on a recent show mm -hmm. about how, uh, you know, it didn't do especially well when it first arrived and it just actually lost money for the company. So it actually sat in the Disney vaults for 11 years before okay. it was finally sent back into theaters in 1970. Did well enough on, on that time that they were like, okay, all right, we'll put it back in theaters. So 79, 86, 95. But now we need to talk about the Disney parks, how they keep the princesses uh, front of mind in between these theatrical releases. And that's through things like Snow White's Scary Adventure Ride in California and Florida, likewise Sleeping Beauty Castle in Anaheim and Cinderella Castle in Orlando. And what was kind of interesting is when Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty would be heading back into theaters, there was sort of a playbook that they used at the park. So one of the first things they do is they create a set of elaborate dioramas. Hmm. And then these would be placed in the windows of the Emporium. You must have seen these at some point when you visited the I'm park. Sure, they yeah. would literally have a little placard to the front and, and they'd break the entire story of the film down to like five or six scenes. And if you walked along the windows, you sort of got a sense of what happened in the movie. And there was always a placard that reminded you that this was coming back to theaters in November of, of such and such a year. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, one of the other things they would do is that for a time, they would take that character and put them in a prominent position in the three o'clock parade. Sometimes they actually would put them on what they called a pre-parade float. And that would roll out ahead of the parade along with, a, again, a placard reminding them, you know, that, you know, Snow White going back into theaters this year. So anyway, tried and true playbook, Glenn. You know, and it, it worked just fine for 30 years until the next generation of Disney animators decided to make the movie they called their Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and that was The Black Cauldron. <laughs> Hold on, I think this is where we're supposed to pause for laughter. <laughs> really, The Black Cauldron was supposed to be the next generation oh, of yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, I mean, uh, to the effect of it was going to have lush detailing and it was going to be in a, a magical fairy tale setting Jim, and Jim I have I have dated women far far outside of my league and even then I was not this delusional <laughs> <laughs> wow okay. all right wow okay. okay well anyway now it's worth noting that the Black Cauldron actually tried to launch a brand new Disney princess and that's Princess Halloween. Princess Halloween? <laughs> no, uh, well, <laughs> Halloween? E-I-L-O-N-W-Y. Okay. I mean, it, it, it gets right. kids interested in spelling, that's that, for sure. All right. Well, that sure. is, this is part of the problem <laughs> okay, when you yeah. can't pronounce it. Problem the first. Okay, go ahead. Okay. But now what's interesting <laughs> about uh, this particular Disney princess is midway through the film, we found out that she's been captured by that movie's villain, the Horn King. But in the reversal of the standard Disney formula, it's Princess Halloween, ah, damn it, who actually rescues the, the, the movie's hero, Taran, the assistant pig keeper <laughs> from the, the Horn King's dungeon. Trust me, Len, the, and movie, the movie's better than this, you know, sir. No, wow. no, no, okay. it's not. We're, uh, we're, I'm we're taking the train to MIT uh, later on. I'm going to watch this mm. film on the train. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to apologize Oof. now. Okay. Right. Disney did have a walk around face character version of Princess Halloween. So in the 1980s, she did interact with guests at the Disney parks. And by the way, Tokyo Disneyland from July of 86 through April of 2006 had an attraction called the Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour. And it's a walkthrough hmm. actually climaxed with a black cauldron themed scene where one guest would draw a magic sword and then do battle with the animatronic version of the Horn hmm. King. And then as the attraction came to a close, that same guest would be awarded a real medal then, something that they could take home in recognition of their oh. bravery. Kind of a cool thing to have. Great souvenir. Yeah, that's kind of great. I wonder if you can get those on eBay now. Those are, that's kind of fantastic. My friend David, during a trip to Tokyo Disneyland, was so taken with not so much the Cinderella mystery tour, but the metal. He wanted the oh, metal yeah. very badly. Yeah. I mean, we, you, you know how we get. Yeah. So last day that he's at the Tokyo Disney Resort and he decides, I'm just going to do it. This is it. This is what I'm doing today. <laughs> yeah, just with the notion of I will do it till they pick yeah. me. And so on his 15th <laughs> trip through, okay, and it's just before park closed. Oh, and he's noticed that the, the employees who are working the Central Mystery, Castle Mystery, have clearly noticed him yeah, at this yeah. point. But they just take pity on him, <laughs> you know, the poor, stupid American. And he said, all right, here, take the sword, fight the Horn King. Oh, here's your medal. Get oh, they out gave of him here. the medal? They gave him the medal. Dude, and it, that would be, I would put that in a velvet box and show it to visitors. Well, again, it's so interesting you say that because when you go to visit David at his house in his living room between his framed master's degree <laughs> and a picture of he and his wife <laughs> at their wedding, all right, it's right there, Len. I love that it's between the two. Like, it, it's the center of those two things. That's the level of personal accomplishment. Oh, okay. this? Oh, so, let me tell you about the time I fought a dragon. <laughs> there we go. All right. But, but uh, by the way, there oh, was God. other Black Cauldron stuff in the parks. I mean, we should mention Gurgi's munchings and crunchings. Could we just talked about this. What was it from? What did, uh, what did that, that was the predecessor to, it's a fantasy, what's the fantasy land thing that, that's there now? Let's see. There was Lumiere's Kitchen was there for yeah. a while. There was the Village Fry Shop. I think today it's called the Friar's, Friar's Nook. Nook. Oh, okay. But it's it's a quick service. But uh, by the way, it's worth noting that the Black Cauldron does get a little love. Mm -hmm. In uh, we were just talking about earlier in the show, Once Upon a Studio, yeah. at the seven minute and fifteen second mark, you can actually see the princess. The assistant pig keeper and Henwin, the Oracle pig, right there. You know, uh, in, in fact, they are left of Snow White. It, in fact, it's so interesting you brought up Asha because it's the moment in this thing where Snow White first joins hands with Mulana, then Asha comes in, the newest Disney princess, as they begin to sing When You Wish Upon a Star. So trust me, Len, watch that instead of the movie. I'll save two hours of your life here. The thing I love about um, Once Upon a Studio is, you know, at some point, someone inside Disney created a chart mm -hmm. that said, this is the character that's in this position of this particular shot. It's like, you know, like, when the Beatles released Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. That, yes. And there were there there people had to figure out what everything was on the cover of the album. It's the same thing here. That's right. Okay, there's Lenny Bruce, there's Groucho exactly. Marx. There's, exactly. you know, yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So 
Just as Disney is shoving the Black Cauldron to the very back of the Mm. vault, Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment is starting to make the company's best-loved princess movies available for purchase on VHS. So, Sleeping Beauty is the first one out. It's available for sale uh, October of 1986, and it's such a big seller. Cinderella follows it October of 1988. And these are uh, Eisner decisions, right? Because he comes in in 84. That's it, exactly. So, Eisner did not pick the Block Cauldron for production, because that was the summer of 85. It was probably already in... Uh, oh, no, 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 yeah, that ship had okay. sailed. Right. That was one of those things where it's like Jeffrey Katzenberg is infamous for trying to fix the Black Cauldron. In fact, I want to say, depending on who you talk to, Jeffrey cut six minutes out of the movie or maybe as much as 10 minutes, which is why it's kind of incoherent. Mm. But again, you'll find that out on the train <laughs> later this week. <laughs> By the way, company resists putting Snow White out on home video for quite a while. It's not till October of 1994, some six years after Cinderella. Why? Well, it was the first one. In fact, it's released in 1994. That was so the year prior to that, 1993, for the 60th anniversary of Snow White. They could do a full court press put it out in theaters, and then the very next year put it out on on home video. Ah, But by then, Disney's next wave of princesses, Ariel from The Little Mermaid, that's in the theaters November of 89, out on VHS the following May. Belle from Beauty and the Beast, released to theaters November of 91, Mm -hmm. doesn't come out on VHS till October the following year, 1992. And finally, Jasmine from Aladdin, that's out in theaters November of 92 and isn't available on VHS till October following year in 93. So just inside of one eight-year period, Len, from October of 86 through October of 1994, one eight-year span, six movies featuring Disney princesses now have become available for purchase. Interesting. And VHS copies mm-hmm. of these movies are now in millions of people's yeah. homes and where their kids could watch them over and over and over. And this begins to have an impact on operations at the Disney parks because people would arrive at Disneyland in California or Magic Kingdom in, in Florida and expect to see their favorite Disney princess right now. No longer a case of, okay, Snow White released a theater soon. Let's dial up this character's presence in the park. Let's put the yeah. you know the windows up in the Imperium. It's like, no, people are now walking into the town hall and saying, my kid loves Cinderella. Mm-hmm. She watches the VHS day and night. Our family vacation is going to be ruined unless my kid gets FaceTime with Cinderella. How do we make this yeah. happen? And it's like, okay, Cinderella, that's doable. We'll just send you down the street to King Stephen's Banquet Hall because Cinderella is in there with Susie and Perla every day. Yeah. And yes, I, I know King Stephen is Princess Aurora's dad. <laughs> it's funny. We actually explained this in like one of the very early unofficial guides that I worked on when it was still called King Stephen's Banquet Hall. Like why is it called King Stephen's if it's Cinderella Castle? The only thing that was ever pointed out to me when I was speaking to an Imagineer about that is like, 
Funny thing, Dave Smith doesn't start the archive till 1970. If we'd had a Dave yeah. Smith when we were designing Cinderella Castle and went, hey, what's the name of Cinderella's dad? Yeah. Let's name the banquet hall after him. So they blame Dave Smith. Fair. <laughs> okay. All right. And by the way, they do rename King Stephen's Banquet Hall to Cinderella's Royal Table, April of 97. Yeah. And that time, that's a crucial timeline. The mid-90s. The Disney parks are, are now trying in earnest to deal with that specific guest demand. We want to see our favorite Disney princesses now. So this is when the Florida version of Snow White's Scary Adventures shuts mm. down April of 94, gets a royal upgrade. In fact, because so many people now are like Disney princesses, Disney princesses, to help deal with the capacity demand, mm -hmm. one of the first things they do at this fantasy ride is they take the formerly four passenger vehicles and make them into six passenger vehicles. They also put six brand new statues of Snow White in her ride because evidently the initial concept of this attraction was when you're in the car, you're Snow right. White. Right. Oh, you, you, you mentioned this. Yeah, yeah. This was, a, uh, this was again, one, this is one of those things we actually talked about in the, like, the 1997 or the early 1990s yeah. unofficial guides because the concept that you were the main character mm -hmm. had never been done before in a Disney yeah. – and no one got it. Everyone was like, where's Snow White? Where's Snow White? That's it exactly. So this is why when they redid the ride, they actually put her in four positions in the ride. She, you see her in the opening yeah. scene. She's there at the wishing well. You see her at the Seven Dwarfs Cottage. She's dancing with the dwarves. You see the climax of the film where she's been awakened by the prince with love's first kiss. And then finally, literally before you go back into the unload station, you see Snow White riding off with her handsome yeah. prince to have her happily ever give, after. Give the Imagineers credit oh. for trying to come up with the, uh, the theme park equivalent of a concept album. Right? I mean, 10 out of 10 <laughs> yeah, points. No, full it. marks for trying, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But but again, this work, this work, because of adding, you know, going from four seats to six seats and adding Snow White, the approval rating for this Fantasyland attraction shot way up. Now, as for the newer Disney princesses, initial thinking was that people are just happy to see these characters in stage shows or in parades. So, you know, we get Beauty and the Beast live on stage in Hollywood Studios just down the street. In fact, the attraction we were just talking mm -hmm. about, Voyage of the Little Mermaid. That opens in April of 1992. And then December of that same year, Aladdin's Royal Caravan begins rolling up Hollywood Boulevard and MGM. But again, visitors to the stateside parks, while they're happy to see Disney's newest princesses in these stage shows and parades, they, they want more. They want FaceTime oh, yeah. with Ariel and Belle. And this comes from the 1990s that... When it came to the new characters, the characters coming out of the films that had just gone into theaters, Thinking In-House was in Florida. Way, the way this is going to work is we introduce them at the studio. This is a little convoluted, but the notion is they're at the studio because they just worked on a brand new movie for Disney Studios. So, okay. And at that time, it's an active, actual production facility for movies and television. So... They should be there. They're working. Now, on the other hand, once they prove these characters that they have legs, that they've stayed popular for two and three mm -hmm. years, that's when they move to the Magic Kingdom where they now live. And, and the first character to basically move 
of the new princesses to move was Ariel. She got her grotto at the Magic Kingdom in October of 96, just in time for the Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary, and people could queue up next to the old 20,000 Leagues Lagoon and eventually find themselves face-to-face with the the Little Mermaid, who was seated on a piece of coral with her iridescent tail on display. I remember The the one thing I remember about this is that uh, the area of Ariel's grotto was built so hastily that there was no air conditioning or heating. So, you know, obviously if you're, if you're the character and it's the middle of summer or the middle of winter, you know, it was super uncomfortable there, but yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it, it remember this is the, the poor young lady who has to wear the shell bra. So right. she's already uncomfortable, let alone heat extremes or cold extremes. But when the cast member who plays Ariel has reached the end of her shift and it's now she time has to, to flop down on the ground and sort of like uh, porpoise her way to the door. <laughs> it's an unbecoming a princess, Jim. <laughs> okay, no, no, it's so much worse than that. The piece of coral that she's seated on now has to rotate out of sight. For safety reasons, three Disney World cast members all at once, in order for this piece, stage piece to rotate, have to hammer on their remote controls at the exact same time. There's one backstage, and there are two out in the park who have direct line of sight with the notion of, okay, is Ariel's tail safely tucked in? Good. Are there any guests near this that potentially you know, could get caught by the rotating mechanism? No. Okay, we all hit a remote, and she, she it now spins. We, we all, we all put turn our keys, and, and the launch sequence begins. <laughs> there we go. All right. And as Amanda Lund and Matt Gorley, they're the folks behind uh, Keys to the Kingdom. It's a terrific new podcast that features all sorts of behind-the-scenes stories from Disney cast members. But is Matt Matt and Amanda pointed out in a recent episode, it takes just two people with keys to launch a nuclear <laughs> missile. All right. But, but three people <laughs> with a remote. All right. You to move the little mermaid backstage, which tells you a lot about the world we live in today, Len. So how do we get from Ariel's Grotto to super elaborate right. princess meet and greets like uh, Princess Fairytale Hall at the Magic Kingdom, uh, Royal Summer House uh, at Epcot, or Fantasy Fair at Disneyland Park? Come back next oh, week, fantastic. folks, for the second half of this story. And we will then talk about how, starting in the early 2000s, the company turned the Disney princesses into a full-fledged franchise and then added four new princesses to that lineup. Oh, that's fantastic. You you mentioned the the late 90s and the early 2000s. Do you remember when when Disney first put Jasmine and Aladdin as character greetings in Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom? They put him in the, uh, the old Adventureland veranda spot, and it was so remote that nobody knew they were there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the spot's gone now, but yeah. In a weird sort of way, it's really nice that Disney went out of their way to create a space for Asha mm-hmm. from Disney yeah. Wish at Epcot to sort of, you know, try to, you know, it's like, come see this character here. Because until the film actually opens, nobody knows. Yeah, nobody who knows. They yeah, are. nobody knows the plot or anything like that. But they're giving, they're giving the character a head start, which is good. It, uh, it helps build word of mouth for the film. I agree. I agree. And uh, very much looking forward to seeing it myself. So Me too. I'm excited. Okay. All right. Good job on that. That's, uh, that's a fun story. Yeah. Well, again, I just I love that story that Amanda and Matt shared. It's just sort of like, yeah. That, that, Three keys. <laughs> we turn the keys now <laughs> and the coral turns. You know. 
All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support the show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at patreon.com slash Jim Hill Media. We're posting new never seen stuff weekly, including a new Q&A show with Disney Imagineer Jim Scholl. On next week's show, Jim finishes up the story of Disney princesses in the parks. And you can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, whose house band Kathleen Turner Overdrive will be the opening act for a screening of High Fidelity with John Cusack on Sunday, December 10th, starting at 7 p.m. at Kemba Live. That's at 405 Neal Avenue in beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show. <laughs> Kathleen Turner Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great.